Welcome to the Kona Edge, where you'll discover what the best triathletes in the world do to give them the edge. Welcome on to yet another edition of the Kona Edge. It's awesome to have you with us, coming to you from uh, a pretty spectacular Cape Town in South Africa. Pretty dry, I might say. Uh, we're having a, a major, major drought at the moment, uh, severe water restrictions. So uh, if it's wet and rainy where you are, please send some this way. We could do with some. Uh, not going to complain when we do get, I can tell you that much. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to download and listen to this podcast. I really do appreciate it. And I have to tell you, the numbers of this podcast are growing like you cannot believe. I'm so, so chuffed. Uh, what started out as a little side hustle uh, just over a year ago, we are inching close to half a million downloads. Can you believe it? Uh, and uh, yeah, it's been pretty spectacular. And one of the reasons we get uh, or we're growing is uh, the Facebook, uh, not Facebook, the iTunes reviews that uh, we keep getting. And we, we get uh, some incredible ones. And I wanted to share a few with you. If you haven't left one yet, please. Uh, it only takes a couple of minutes. Uh, it's pretty easy to do. All you have to do is uh, yeah, hit uh, hit it up in, in your your iTunes uh, app on your smartphone and uh, it's pretty simple go on in from uh, Team Passion Fit from Tom who we've funnily enough had on the podcast before uh, and uh, it's a great insight into what it takes to qualify and race uh, the big show from athletes from normal everyday backgrounds if you have uh, Kona aspirations definitely one to subscribe to Tom thank you so much for that giving us a, a five star much much appreciated so if you leave us a review who knows could be reading it out on an upcoming edition uh, of the Kona Edge also don't forget to check out our Facebook group uh, we've got some cool things coming up in there lots of people have been joining over the last few weeks just head over to the KonaEdge.com forward slash Facebook it's a private Facebook group I'll uh, sort of uh, approve your application on there and uh, we'll get you in there and then keep an eye on that Facebook group uh, over the weeks and months to come because uh, we're going to be doing some pretty cool stuff of that I've got uh, no doubt let's get straight into today episode of the Cone Edge and I get to share another pretty cool story. We head uh, just outside Sydney in Australia to catch up with uh, our next age group who's no longer an age group. You'll find out why on today's episode. It's a great pleasure to welcome Tim Ray onto the podcast. We head to Australia now to catch up with our next guest and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the Cone Edge, uh, Tim Ray. Tim, welcome. Uh, it's good to good to touch base. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, nice to finally catch up and uh, have a bit of a chat. Tim, we've had a couple of Aussies on the podcast uh, of late and I always joke with them, uh, Australia is a great place to to take part in the sport. Your, your climate is very similar to what we've got here in, in South Africa. There are worse places to live and train. Um, yeah, definitely there are. It's, um, I guess growing up here, it's, you know, you got summer and the sun and we're very lucky to have the beaches and I guess the landscape that we have and yeah, everyone's sort of thrown into the sport quite early and, you know, growing up by the beach and everyone's swimming and sort of staying active. So I guess from a child, it's sort of, you're thrown into it and yeah, whatever, I guess, sport you've gone on to, whether for me, it's been triathlon, but I mean, we've got very strong sort of rugby and rugby league cultures and everything. And it's a uh, sports, definitely something that in this country is held quite highly. And I think that's highlighted worldwide by sort of the depth in athletes that are churned out over time. Absolutely. Well, I uh, l- let me just put a proviso in here. I won't talk about cricket if you won't talk about rugby. So that's the deal. Uh, we we won't mention any of that sort of stuff. But you mentioned uh, being sporty as a kid, and and I think again, it's one of those things. A lot of South African kids are are sporty because the climate. You guys are too. What what sort of stuff were you into growing up? Um, growing up, I mean, I always 
I learned to swim at a very young age. My mom was actually a really good swimmer, swimmer at a national level. Um, so she sort of had us in the pool from day one. Um, and then throughout my junior school years and at high school, was sort of um, into sort of athletics, bit of a mix in all sort of events. Um, kept swimming and then had also played rugby um, sort of from, I think, six or seven years of age and through, I guess, until I was... Uh, 22, playing at all ranges of levels. Um, And then, yeah, that all sort of came to an abrupt halt, which from there, through a couple of certain different circumstances, led me me to fall into triathlon. Uh, Looking at those sports, were you you any good growing up? Were you pretty competitive? Um, Through uh, junior school and parts of high school, sort of had swum and run at, I guess nearly a state level. Um, and again, as I said, was never overly a standout in one event. Um, I sort of would have said I was, I guess, all right at a variety of disciplines, but never really one event or anything. But I guess sport was something that I always had such a passion for and had always trained so hard towards. Um, that, yeah, I guess if I hadn't had outstanding results in something, I was more than happy to just be doing it and competing at a good level and sort of keeping myself interested that way. You mentioned finding your way into triathlon. How did that happen? Um, it was through, through, through a, uh, a couple of injuries, actually. So I was still playing rugby um, at sort of university and had through the back end of one season developed a bad shoulder, which sort of went from bad to worse. Um, and I ended up getting shoulder reconstruction on my right shoulder. Um, Went through all the rehab, uh, got it ticked off. And at the same sort of time, I was working a couple of ski seasons in Canada to sort of fill my summer holidays while I was at uni. Um, Went away and pretty much 11 months after my shoulder, I blew out my ACL on my right knee Um, and then came back, got that checked and they just ran a scan on my shoulder to check it, make sure everything was fine from 12 months prior and uh, it actually hadn't healed properly. So I went back in um, sort of two weeks later, had the knee done, two weeks on crutches, then had the shoulder redone um, and then went through a pretty pretty slow year of back to square one on the shoulder and the knee at the same time. Um and then without going on too much, I managed to, 12 months later, re-blow out the same knee. So two shoulder, two re- knee reconstructions in just under three years. And, it, uh, yeah, it took its toll, that's for sure. Well, with a dodgy knee and a dodgy shoulder, triathlon, I wouldn't think, would be the, 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 logical, the logical next step. Maybe, maybe lawn bowls. That, that might have been more, uh, more appropriate, but uh, it wasn't. Triathlon is where you, you sort of found your groove. Yeah, I actually, uh, my sister was sort of getting into me a bit. She said I should probably take up chess. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, through, I guess, the operations and the rehab for the more was quite diligent with the rehab and getting it right. And obviously as I went from the first to the second to the third to the fourth, I, it really was ingrained in me that, I guess doing the recovery and everything perfect because I just never wanted to go through it again. It's an absolute pain in the ass um, and just just really slows you down. And there was a lot of things which you learned 
you know, that you take for granted on a day-to-day basis. Um, but, yeah, I guess from there I spent a fair bit of time in the gym um, and I was still quite keen to get back into rugby, but uh, mum sort of put an end to that quite quickly and just it was starting to impact my life day-to-day and I didn't want to go through the chance of having something go again. Um, so, yeah, I'd spent a fair bit of time in the gym put some muscle and some sort of, not size, but built up some strength from, I guess, three years where I'd pretty much depleted down to not much. Um, And then, yeah, I, funnily enough, when I was about 10 or 12, my dad ran the marathon in Sydney the year before the Olympics, which was, uh, they tested the course. I remember going out and watching him run it. And from that day, I sort of said, you know, it was something I always wanted to do, um, sort of a bucket list, tick it off kind of thing. Um, I did that probably two years after all my operations um, and had sort of done a half leading into that. Um, Didn't really went in not knowing what I was doing, but managed to get through uh, the marathon and then, um, I ran with a good mate of mine that day and he on a whim had signed up to a 70.3, which was Cairns in, uh, not sure when it was actually, it might've been 2014. Um, and he'd signed up quite early and I'd watched him go around up there and it's just, yeah, it just sort of got me hooked. And I'd always wondered about triathlon and sort of knew what it was. And then, uh, one day, probably I think it was during winter 2014 around about the time before Cairns he raced I he'd sort of dared me I guess not a dare but I was pretty intrigued as to figure out what it all was so I managed to get on the computer one day and signed up for Port Macquarie 70.3 and then went about trying to figure out what the hell it was what I needed to do and how I was going to get myself to the start line in three months um, with some hope of trying to finish the thing how, how did that first one go? <laughs> <It's off. laughs> um, yeah, I mean, first up, I didn't even have a bike. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, weighed up a couple of different things. Um, so I managed to get myself a giant TT bike. Um, sort of had weighed up that in a road bike, but I sort of always been sort of an all-in kind of person and knew that that was going to be the way forward. And it was something I was looking, I'd think I'd, want to continue so uh, got my bike probably read through about 10,000 different how to get to a 70.3 coaching plans on the internet and drew things from all over the shop um, made myself a bit of a rough plan and then I think I had at the point I had it all I had 11 weeks before race day and uh, yeah stuck to it 100% and I just sort of hoped that what I was doing was working Um and yeah but still sort of went in with a big unknown but having done some running and sort of knowing thinking rough time I could run it was more just to get to the run and I'll know I think I'll be all right but I mean I hadn't even I think ridden 90 k's or 100 k's before that and it was going in and racing 100 or 90 and then how that was going to be off a swim that I thought I could do but yeah, just wasn't sure. So it was a bit of a bit of a lottery. I'm guessing uh, it was love at first sight, uh, or did you say to yourself, "I never want to do that again"? Uh, 
I didn't really know what it was going to be like, I guess, because I'd never done a sprint, never done the Olympics. So I hadn't really had anything. I didn't, hadn't done the Olympic and gone, geez, it's going to be twice that. Um, and I remember just race morning, just getting into it. Or actually the day before checking the bikes in and walking past all the pro guys with their discs and their bikes. And it just kind of blew me away. And Brad Carlefield was racing who'd been to the Commonwealth games. And it was just sort of like, wow, I'm, really in a bit deep here, even though they're in a whole different category and everything. Um, I don't think it really hit me until I was getting out of the swim. Um, and I remember sort of hitting dry land and trying to find my feet to get up out of the water. And I was just getting cramps all in my calves. And I just sort of had the first thought in my head that, wow, this is going to be a really long day. Um, but yeah, I managed to uh, settle into what I thought I could sort of do on the day and it ended up it ended up being a really good day and sort of I guess I think from the moment I finished and had realised what I'd sort of done and the time and everything, it was something that lit a bit of fire inside me and I've sort of been uh, like a bullet a gate ever since. I have to laugh because I think we all go through that at some stage in our triathlon career when we're making the step up from one distance to the next where you talk about doing a sprint or an Olympic and go, gee, I couldn't do that again. Uh, when when did it dawn on you that a full Ironman, you had to go out and do exactly what you had just done over again? Um, I don't know. Funnily enough, before that first triathlon at Port, the week before was Kona in 2014. Um, and I remember... I remember bits of it probably growing up in my teenage years where I'd seen Crowey and Macca dominating and I know a lot of it doesn't make the news, but I think bits and pieces of it had and there was always bits on the wide world of sport or whatever. Um, and I remember watching getting up early this Sunday the year before, the week before my first race to watch a bit and had just sort of been like, these guys are just idiots. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and then sort of going around and doing a few 70.3s. I actually signed up to do one three weeks later um, and then it sort of got into racing and raced quite a bit 2015. Um, it was always something that intrigued me because it was the next step, but I actually, I physically didn't know if I'd be able to make the distance and I, I won't lie about that. Like it's, I found it quite daunting and I knew through the hard work I'd done and some coaching I'd then fallen into I knew I was getting some good results and I guess I was intrigued as to what the next step was and everyone just kept telling me just wait just wait and I thought it was the right idea and I still kind of do um but yeah it was just and I didn't realize until the first Ironman probably till a couple of weeks out really what I had to do and still I mean before my first Ironman uh, late last year, I still hadn't even ridden 180k. So going into it, yeah, I think even as an athlete, the thought of getting your head around what you have to do is one thing. Let alone then trying to explain it to a uh, a person off the street who just can't comprehend. I guess going out there to try and exercise for eight or nine hours at a minimum. Yeah, it is a big step up, and and it's interesting you you say that you had the doubts and you're not going to lie about it, but that, that is such a normal feeling, particularly for, for people starting out in the sport and, and training for their first time. And it doesn't matter how well prepared you are. You've never done that distance and, and everyone goes to that. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's normal, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, you can do all the training you want and you're still going to get to 
race day, I guess I can, whatever the distance you're going to, you're going to ask questions of yourself. And that's where I guess as an athlete, you need to trust the training and, you know, when you've done the work and you know, when you haven't, and I guess going into races and turning up where, you know, you've done the work and you know, you couldn't have done anything more. And I guess you can think back to, even if it's one key session from a swim, bike or run or a multitude of sessions over weeks, weekends, like day in, day out, getting it done. Um, and I think that part of having a very strong routine and sticking to your training a hundred percent or as best as you can, where you know you've done the work, um, that goes a long way. And I guess instilling that self-confidence that once you turn up on the start line, you sort of are ready to go and you can get it done. When did you realize you were actually pretty good at this and uh, you, you could be challenging for, for at that time, age group uh, sort of slots and, and potentially slots in Kona? Um, uh, I mean, as far as an Ironman, I'll put that to side for a bit. 70.3, so that first 70.3 at Port Macquarie, um, I actually ended up finishing second in my age group and got a slot to the 70.3 Worlds in LMC. Um, and I remember crossing the finish line and knowing I was in second. And I think once I had the thing of, wow, I've actually just done the race and I did the time to the minute that I wanted, um, I was just sort of like, whoa, like I'm just qualified for the world championships. And I ended up turning down the slot because it was just all a bit beyond me and I just didn't even know what it was or what was happening. Um, and then I ended up, uh, I went and did the 70.3 in Hawaii um, in May 2015 and ended up uh, winning my age group there and actually finishing second overall behind a French professional athlete. And I guess that race kind of, it really hit home that I might actually be able to be all right at this sport and then had sort of taken my slot to ZLMC for the second time. Um, and then I guess since then it's sort of been an upwards build um, and thankfully through the work I've put in, my results have followed. You've you've raced on the, on the Big Island as well, and and the seventy point three in Hawaii obviously very different to to being at World Championships where the best of the best are there. But uh, there's something special about racing on that island, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I mean, it's it's the pinnacle of the sport. Um, I mean, Kona the Ironman, but just the island itself. I mean, I've been lucky to race there three times now. So I did the seventy point three in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen. Um and ended up winning the race overall in 2016, which was a massive goal of mine for last year to go back and try and go one better and win. Um, and then obviously qualified for Kona quite late in the year um, and then went back and raced, raced last October. So, I mean, anyone that's been there and raced and watched on TV and, I mean, basically any triathlete knows that that's the place everyone wants to get to one day and repeatedly get to go back. And yeah, I mean, racing there, it's just, oh, it's exciting. It's daunting. It's scary. The nerves are just, it's just unbelievable. And I mean, getting to go around in October last year at the world championships was, um, was a nice surprise. So I didn't think I'd, I mean, I'd hope to get there one day and to get there that soon was um, something I'll never forget. And it was just, yeah, it was an amazing day. You talk about getting there one day soon. What was the plan? I mean, were you one of those accidental qualifiers or were you secretly hoping for a qualification spot? 
Um, I mean, I talked about it with my coach um, a bit and that was quite early on and I guess we sort of just put it on the back burner for a bit, but it was always sort of eating away at me. Um, and then after winning the 70.3 there last May, I, um, I actually got the opportunity to go to the mainland US and train with my coach in Oregon for a month. Um, and when I got there, um, he sort of said to me, oh, have I thought about where I want to go in the sport and what I want to do? Um, and he mentioned to me, oh, had you thought about turning professional? And I guess, and literally until that moment, I'd never thought about it. And it was always something that those guys are just on a whole nother level. Um, and I said, oh, I mean, if you think I'm good enough, then it's definitely something I want to explore. But I really want to weigh up the option of trying to even qualify to get to Kona, um, let alone get there and race it um, before and if I'm going to take my professional licence because I think it's something that should be done as an age group a while. I guess you have an easier shot at trying to qualify. I mean, you can only you nail one race and you can get there, whereas as a pro, it's a whole other ball game and, you know, you can race over and over during the year and still miss one of the 50 slots. So, um, yeah, when we are in Oregon, we just sort of decided that looked at some races and I was actually hanging around uh, in North America. I had a wedding in Canada um, and then it all sort of lined up well that Ironman Canada was the following weekend and um, I ended up signing up three weeks before it. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I'd sort of, I'd gone there with a very strong desire to get a Kona slot but again I mean like that first race at Port Macquarie and that's exactly what it felt like I was going in with just such an unknown and I had no idea how it was going to go even though I thought I'd done the right amount of training to get me where I wanted to be. You, you talk about the, the 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 making the step up to pro and and the the difference in in qualifying and and how difficult it is to qualify as a pro you've you've decided to make that step up now you you've been to the big island you've raced as an age grouper but you've you, you've taken on their challenge talk to me about the decision to to take up a pro license what goes what goes into that from a, a thinking perspective how do you how do you sort of rationalize that in your mind um i mean having ticked off kona and i ended up having a great race there but it was straight away when i'd finished i um that afternoon, I'd almost thought, God, I need to get back in next year and try and go better. Um, and it's, yeah, talking to my coach, he said it was going to be a lot to try and put. I mean, we talked about turning professional and it was if I was going to hold it off for another year to or put it all down to one race at Kona where for no reason drastic things can go wrong on race day. Um, so I guess the plan was to sort of, um, yeah, put in for my application and I was lucky enough I had a result from earlier last year, Bustleton 70.3, which meant I had an automatic qualifier for my pro licence. Um, so I put that in and got it all back and sorted with Triathlon Australia and then with Ironman and it's, um, yeah, I mean, I won't lie, it's definitely quite daunting. Um, I'm not scared by it, but it's going to be a different feeling lining up with those guys at the front. Um, but it's something that really excites me. And I know that's, they're the best guys in the sport and still having only been quite young to the sport. I know I've got a lot to learn and 
yeah, I'm really looking forward to the challenge this year and I guess the different style of racing and knowing that it's going to be seriously tough work. You, you've also mentioned your coach and, and you also said that your your first 70.3, you were, were self-coached. What went into the decision to to find someone who, who could help you and how did you end up settling with a coach that you have now? Um, I'd, yeah, I mean, when I first got into it and I'd heard guys had coaches and all that and I don't know if it was quite arrogant by me, but I think I just sort of thought I'd do it on my own and see how I go and didn't really want to, I guess, invest any more money in the decision that I'd made one night by signing up. Um, but then having finished that race and then sort of instantly just wanting to race more and wanting to progress and wanting to get better, um, I sort of started looking around and funnily enough, sort of strange connection with my dad and someone that he works with um, who was getting some marathon coaching done by Tim Reed. Um, and through that connection, sort of got talking and um, started getting coached, um, not by Tim initially, but by another professional who runs, uh, I guess, with him and under his coaching name at the Reed Performance Group. Um, so I was getting coached by Luke Martin there for a while and then um, that ended up moving. Uh, Sam Appleton was coaching me for a couple of months there and then ended up Tim took me on himself um, and has been coaching me for probably oh, the last 18 months or so now. Would you suggest somebody starting out in the sport? I mean, do you think it's the way to go? Should, should somebody try and find their way without a coach and then progress? Or would, if you had to do it over again, would you have gone and found <laughs> someone straight up? Um, oh, I think it depends person to person. I mean, going in and signing up for a 70.3 and trying to coach yourself there, if I said that to the majority of people, they'd think it was suicide. Um, where obviously I look back and think starting with a sprint and going to Olympic and then to some 70.3s is probably a bit more of a natural progression and getting some guidance and coaching. Um, because there's so many little things that you don't get taught um, and you won't read in online programs and coaching manuals. It's it's just little things you learn around racing, transitions, setup, little training, um, routines, exercises. Um, so I think it's definitely the way to go. Um, and it's only going, it's only going to help an athlete. And on the other side, you've probably got, I mean, a lot less chance of getting injured from overloading yourself. I mean, none of that I ever knew about training too much or a heavy amount of fatigue or any of that. So I think definitely that, and especially with injury-prone athletes or people starting out in the sport, I mean, there's big changes to your body and trying to adapt to cycling and running as well as swimming and monitoring sleep and everything. It's um, I definitely think, getting a coach early on is uh, is the way to go. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the mornings? Um, for most of last year, I'd, I set race goals, which I've sort of changed my approach a bit this year, but in the past probably 18 months, I've set race goals and sort of last year specifically um, – set them out quite early in the year of what I wanted to achieve. And then it was a matter of going about what I needed to get them done and knowing that sticking to my training and everything a hundred percent and 
as I said earlier, getting myself to the start line in as best shape as possible um, and knowing that that would put me in the best position. Um, but I just, I've got such a love for the sport and having had some success um, and have been fortunate enough to meet some fantastic people in the sport. And I mean, getting to train and have Tim as a coach for me, I mean, the guy's was world champion last year and having that guy on my side and a few other people who I know who are, have gone a long way in the sport, it's it's seeing what drives them and then I guess that sort of rubbed off onto me a bit and it's – I think I bring it down to it's every day just getting out of bed and call it cliche but trying to get a bit more out of myself and get a little bit better and knowing that all those days add up and when it comes to the time where it needs to, it's going to mean something. What's the best bit of advice you've been given around the sport? Um, probably put it down to one word, um, which is patience. I mean, at times I haven't had it and I've raced too much and I've made some silly mistakes um, and they've cost me in some big races and I know I'll never get the opportunity to go back and relive those. Um so I guess it's not trying to rush things and pretty much there's no quick fix. I mean, anyone who's been injured understands that and it takes time for things to resolve and just as long as it takes time for things to resolve, it takes time for you to adapt to training and at times you can do weeks and weeks of work on end but you don't start to see the results for months and it's I guess it's just being patient and trusting the process and that I've... I write it on my hand every race I do actually because I know I can get caught up with it in times in races and I just have it something for me which works which I look down and just see patience and it's something that sort of in the moment of a race when it can all just be happening so fast around you it's something that settles me down um, and gets me back to whether it's riding at the right power or running at a pace and a in a heart rate zone that I know I can sustain and not letting it get ahead of myself. Um, so, yeah, I'd definitely say patience, and I think it can definitely definitely apply to a lot of different things associated with the sport. We've all made mistakes uh, in our triathlon career. You mentioned some silly mistakes you've made while racing. If you could go back and change anything, uh, what, what, what would you change? Um, oh, straight up, I'd probably change going to the second corner at Challenge Shepherd and in the wet. 100 metres in a 90k ride and I'm going a bit slower. <laughs> um, it wasn't overly good hitting the deck 100, 100 metres in with 89.9 kilometres to go on a freezing cold, wet day. Um, but I think it's just, it's not letting an opportunity get to you. I mean, when I ended up going to ZLMC for the World Championships two years ago, I um, the opportunity... And I guess the experience got to me and the whole thing of the week in a world championship event. And I really, looking back, was way out of my depth, but it was such a great opportunity and I'll never, I'll never look at it as a waste. It was an amazing trip, but I guess just not letting, not letting things get to you. And in a race specifically, um, you've got to control just what you can control. I mean, the end of the day, you can't worry about the weather. The weather's going to be what it is. Um, no one likes wind and rain and, and whatever, um, but you can't control it. And every other athlete on the day has to deal with it, um, as well as 
you know, if I've got a main rival of mine turning up to a race, I can't control what he does, how hard he trains every Saturday, every weekday, what his swims are, how many Ks he's running. All I can worry about is what I'm worrying about, what I'm doing, and just making sure that I can control. I guess I've heard before it's controlling the controllables and letting everything else just go as is. Tim, you've got some big changes uh, in your life coming up. You, you're moving, and uh, it's not just uh, neighbourhoods. You, you're moving continents. You're heading to Miami, Florida, uh, going to be racing a bit on the, the US circuit as well, which, which does open things up because uh, being Australian, you sit with the same issue that we have. There aren't too many races uh, where, where we are, so in order to go and race and race lots and, and get against good fields, you've got to travel. Being based in the States is going to alleviate some of those issues. Uh, yeah, it is. So I'm actually heading to Miami at the end of the month um, and very fortunate to have my girlfriend live in Miami. So I'm heading over to be with her um, sort of as a main priority, but it also works hand in hand with opening up more opportunities for racing and triathlon for me especially. Um, as you said, yeah, Australia is getting a very limited race schedule and they've made a few races here age group only. Um, and as we discussed before the interview, um, both South Africa and Australia pretty much are just a long way from everywhere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, being over there is going to be a great benefit to me. I mean, there's so many races at times. There's three and four races a weekend uh, in the US, as well as some 70.3s in Canada down into South America. Um, and I'm actually – I'll be doing my first sort of pro race at a 70.3 at 70.3 uh, Lima in Peru on the 23rd of April. So I can't wait to get down there for that one. Oh, it sounds amazing. And from a race schedule perspective, what does is, what is the season look like for you? You've mentioned Lima. What, what else have you got on the cards? Or is it fluid? Do you do you go according to how you go in a, in a race? And uh, if it goes well, you take some time off. If not, you, you reassess and then uh, take it from there. Um, I mean, I've got a rough schedule. Um, I guess a change to last year. And as much as I'd like to get back in and explore uh, full Ironman racing, I'm going to try and – well, I'm not going to try. I'm actually going to hold back uh, for most of the year um, and just concentrate on some 70.3s, getting some race experience at that pro level um, and just trying to get some consistency back into my racing. Um and obviously with the opportunity of more racing and events over there. Um, I've looked at a couple of Olympic distance races just thrown in the mix there, which is always good. Um, you can sort of use them as a good good training hit out in bigger blocks of training. Um, but, yeah, currently looking at starting off with, with 70.3 Lima and then uh, looking at moving into maybe – probably another five to six 70.3s throughout the US and the year. Um, bit of Olympic distance racing, see how it's all going. Um, if it's going well and the body's not too fatigued, I've, I've got the opportunity now to throw in a couple more and there will be races around. Um, and then still weighing up with the idea of an end of the year Ironman, but that's obviously uh, sort of got to monitor fatigue and see how I'm going and seeing whether the hunger for another long hit out at the end of the year is still there. So, well, the bug's obviously bitten. You, you, you love Kona. What's the plan? When are you going to go back? Is there no rush? Have you got a long-term plan on, on when you want to race on the island again? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely no time soon. And I know that ugh, trying to crack that top 50 for the males at Kona, I mean, once you take out repeat past champions who pretty much are automatic qualifiers, you've got a core group of 
I'd say 20 guys, 20 to 25 guys are always going to be there. Um, a couple of other slots go and there's really not many of the 50 available. And I really don't think it is something achievable for the next, certainly the next few years anyway. And knowing that, <clears throat> sorry, some guys who do sort of scrape the barrel to get there are racing three to four to five Ironmans a year in order to get points. And as much as it would be great to get back, I don't think getting back with that amount of racing in you in a year is, is smart. Um, so yeah, I've sort of, I've got the goal at the moment of trying to qualify for South Africa 70.3 worlds next year, which is sort of a long-term goal. And I know it's going to be touch and go um, as to whether I can even get there. Um, but I'm just waiting to see how the racing's going and I don't want to not have a goal. So I'm going to try and work towards that, try and get some points where I can and, do what I have to do and then I guess, yeah, see where that goes and maybe throw in an Ironman at the end of the year or early next year because I do love the distance and in the two I've done, I'm still nowhere near I where I want to be and what I know I can get out as a race. Um, but, yeah, as far as getting back to Kona, I don't think it'll be uh, – I don't think it'll be on the radar anytime soon, so – I think it's a sensible, sensible decision. Tim, thank you so much for your time here on the Kona Estate. I look forward to getting you back on to talk about the individual disciplines, but we'll save that for another time. Thanks for your time today. Thanks very much, Brad, and uh, thanks for having me on. Cheers. Before I go, just a quick uh, iTunes review. I said I'd be giving away uh, or be reading out a few of them that have uh, come through on uh, the iTunes. If you haven't left one yet, please do. Got one in from Andrew Ferson, who is uh, in South Africa, giving us a, a five-star saying, uh, really in-depth chats across different areas. Super, super helpful. Thank you very much, Andrew. I hope your training is going well and uh, great to hear from you. Don't forget, you can leave yours as well, and we'll be reading out a few of them in the, the weeks and months to come here on The Kona Edge. Until next time, from myself, Brad Brown, it's cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Kona Edge. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. Simply search for The Kona Edge.